democracy and its discontents. You are here live with me, Soren, and my partner, Bryce, on the West Coast. Bryce, what's up, brother? Hey, what's up, man? Um, we got a lot of exciting news to talk about. I'm thrilled to see that Virginia has become such a progressive state. Um, I don't think I've ever actually been to Virginia, but I hear great things. Um, I want to I wanna get it right into it with Ralph Northam, our favorite Democrat, who was, as, as, as all of the listeners know, seen as either a, a man in blackface or in a KKK hood. But I guess that he, he, he confirmed that he was in blackface, correct? Yeah. Well, well, he's, he's kind of double-taked a little bit, and, and he's kind of made it ambiguous. He's like, oh, I don't know which one I am, but either, either or, it's like, you know, he, he, he really, really likes infanticide. So yeah, well, I was confused about that when he first responded to it because I thought that he said, I, I am not in this picture. Neither of these people are me. And then, it's, and then did he double back on that and say, actually, I am one of these people? Yeah, he, he actually did. Which I think is, I think it's also really funny. And then he took it back and he said, "Well, I don't remember which one I was." And then, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, well, and the fun, the funniest part is a, a second Virginia Democrat actually came out sort of in defense of him. He was like, uh, Gen- "General Mark Herring is like, oh wait, actually, I wore blackface too, so it's a." Okay. It was like everyone was doing it, man. It was the '60s. We were getting high and putting on what oil on our face or whatever. Yeah. No, I know. And it's, then uh, <clears throat> And then there's the uh there's the rape accusation now. Oh yeah. Did you hear about that? There's like all the Democrats are going down in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, no, I've I've heard with um what's her name? Um but she was also a Democrat, it was like two thousand fourteen, I think. And you know, and Cory Booker actually if you saw that video, they actually pressed him on it and he was like Oh man. You know, he he was one of the original sort of like woke champions of believe all women. And then they ask him about it and he's like he was the worst. Yeah. And he was like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to talk about this right now. I've got bigger fish to fry because because this guy just wore blackface like 30 years ago. So whatever she said just like doesn't fucking matter. And so basically, which which is a huge, a huge gap. Apologies to the listeners out there. We got a we got a sick wave going through the the cities right now. Vectors of disease taking over the human body. Protect yourself. Wear a condom and don't fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely, definitely don't, don't fuck, fuck, man. That that stuff is so played out. I mean, Volcel. If you can succeed at volcellism you can see at anything in life and so you'll be so much happier i was thinking today of the wellbeck michelle wellbeck quote of um he said this a few times in interviews where a life of pure book a life of pure reading would have been much more preferable to the life that i have now socializing and sex and whatever women is like just being with your schopenhauer in bed is and a bottle of wine is yeah, kind of as good as it gets oh i oh, i totally wait but back agree. to i want to go back to cory booker real quick because he's i find him hilarious he for some he really upset me during the Kavanaugh hearings because of his his entitlement his like sort of this like entitled attitude that he brought to the hearing where he he felt so morally in the right that I was like authentically irritated by it and then now he's in the news at least in the I see him on the TL on the timeline because of some article came out that's I think from the Hill where the headline is Cory Booker confirms he has a girlfriend have you seen this 
Oh yeah, yeah. Because isn't he? He's, he's he's celibate. He is probably gay, right? I mean, he's probably not. That there's anything wrong with that, you know? But uh, or he lives a life of you know reading Schopenhauer. Right. Oh my bed. gosh, no. Yeah, Cory Booker is reading the the Wilbeckian lifestyle that we all want. That would be cool. But I saw another friend sent me today a screenshot of a comment he posted on Instagram where some troll commented on his page saying, I'm going to say the N word. <laughs> and he responds like he writes a paragraph out where it's like, I implore you to do whatever you want. No matter how much hate you bring to me, I will never devolve to your level of hatred because hate will not win. I love you. I'm going to say the L word, love. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 how you really get him. I thought the L word was lesbian. That'd be cool if Cory Booker was like, I'm going to fucking say the L word. Lesbian. <laughs> uh, all right. What else? Wait, uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, SODU, as I call it. State of the uterus. State of the uterus. That's what I call it. Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. So what? He cucked, right? He was a, it was a big cuck. Uh, you know. I'm kind of, I'm actually really divided on that speech. A house divided against itself will not stand, my friend. Yeah, but unfortunately, you know, things are already moving in that direction anyway. And I think what he was attempting to do was actually kind of unify people. You you know, you saw like his whole kind of like, he had his own little woke uh, pro-female rant there. You you know, you saw AOC and all those people like, high-fiving each other, which which I thought was really strange because, you know, then he said socialism will never come to America. Like, my take on it was basically like, you know, he told everybody what they wanted to hear. But, you know, when it comes to, like, this idea of, like, socialism, I mean, you know, I'm not left-wing, but I definitely, I'm no... We're no, we're no aliens to socialism on this podcast. We know all about it. We, we read our Marx. We read our, what, um, Lenin. I haven't read much Lenin, to be honest. Yeah, me either. You know, if we don't, if we want to see a world in which, you know, Bolshevism isn't creating all this kind of like infighting and chaos and sort of, you know, paranoia and food shortages, like we really, really need to do some, some actual restraints on right, capital. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm no fucking, I'm not shy about being critical of capitalism, even though I- No, of course not. Neither is Tucker, by the way. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think anti-capitalism of the left is, is really the answer for that. You know, I used to be one of those people who was like, ah, well, you know, I'm like kind of a socialist. But at this point, you know, like the neoliberal dimension associated with that word is very strong. And, I, and it's very, very easy to sort of stay within a neoliberal dimension if you're utilizing these ways of thinking. Because, I mean, this idea of this millennial left socialism is just it's just a joke. You're either going to have the one that's kind of like nominally a restraint of capital to kind of protect our institutions that, you know, throughout history have made us happy, have made us like fulfilled people. The DMV has always made me happy. I actually get a sense of comfort, you know, those like placid brown seats that fuck up your back and hurt your nuts that you, you have the to DMV. sit in for three yeah. hours. There's some, there's something like slightly, you know, it's kind of like earthy tones. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wish that was what my DMV looked like in my uh, Eastern state, but it's not like, it's more of, um, it feels like a car dealership. It's like modernized and it's, it doesn't have the same dread. It doesn't um, like exude this feeling of bureaucratic dread that the DMV is supposed to of long lines and, you know, people telling you like, that's not my job, whatever that's, you know, it's, it's, it's way more friendly. And in that way, I, I don't like it. The lines are not long enough at my DMV. That's the problem. 
Anyway, I was back to the State of the Union. I was um, really enamored with Trump's line where he says, the governor, <laughs> I have to do it correctly. I don't know if he says the governor, he starts, he's like, the governor of Virginia said that he would execute a baby after birth. I mean, his, his intonation on that one line made the entire State of the Union worth it for, like, for me. I don't know. Yeah, that, that was a great one because, because, I mean, there are a lot of ways of, of reading into that. So Ralph Northam was like, we're going to comfort the baby and then oh, we're right. going to have a conversation the baby, with the physician. The baby will be kept comfortable. No, the infant, excuse me. The infant will be kept comfortable and a discussion will ensue with the, uh, with the doctors and the mother. That's, that's even creepier. It's just hard to wrap your head around that. Like the, 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 this re- like the rhetoric of this. I think he just got confused because like on the left, this idea of having a discussion is so valorized. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people are always saying, you know, what I'm really trying to do here is, ha- is open up a discussion. You know, I'm really trying to start a conversation. And I think he got sort of misled by that and, and had in his brain this idea of if you throw out the word discussion, then people will kind of follow along. So he's like, um, yeah, you know, you'll, uh, the baby will be born and uh, a discussion will ensue and uh, then you'll kill, kill the baby. You know, I, I think somebody like Van Jones does this a lot. He's just like, you know, what makes these people think I'm going to sit down with these average, you know, plebes. I'm just going to, I'm just going to try and find out like what makes them think, fucking you know, as if this isn't some sort of like, like untimely form of like just fucking unabashed patronization. I mean, it's just like, it's fucking, it's just fucking insane. Fuck this course, man. Let me, let me throw something out at you. There's a really, there's a great, um, Deleuze line in What is Philosophy, last book, to l- uh, listeners who don't know, who don't already fucking know about my boy, Gilles Deleuze, motherfuckers. Um, last book, he writes, What is Philosophy? Question mark. There's, some, there's, a, there's a section in there about conversations and discourse where he's basically like, um, philosophical discussions and conversations are pointless. Any kind of um, you know, open table seminar style discussion will lead to horror and, you know, like terror. There is no point in discussing any idea. Uh, the, like the only thing is to, to write and to be by yourself. So I, I've always thought that was helpful. It's like there is a tyranny of discussion. And one of the things that I think that makes him relevant now is that, you know, a lot of people kind of read into Deleuze as this person who's like supposed to have this some somewhat of like a solution to get us out of this kind of like postmodern stage. It's like, let's look at the Chinese tributary system. This idea of neoliberalism, where the neoliberals go, well, you know, global neoliberal capitalism has decreased poverty by like 20% in the third world. It just That's the Ben Shapiro argument. What, yeah, which is fucking ridiculous because it completely absolves these sort of like third world countries that have actually like embedded civilizational cohesiveness that have actually managed to determinate and solve some of their own fucking problems, which is, I think is odd because, you know, if you look at China, um, you know, dormitory and ownership of these sort of like state built housing facilities is actually up and, you know, home ownership for us is actually down. 
So if we're going to say that, if we're going to say that like neoliberalism has some fucking part to do with it, it's like, yeah, it has some part to do with it in that they are fucking gaming us and we're fucking fools because we're taking credit for it. Oh, fucking high off the state of the union. We're rolling. I'm literally, I, dude, I took a ounce of Molly before the state of the union. I was just watching, I was sweating my ass off watching that shit. I was taking, every time he said uh, America, I was taking more Molly. How about that USA chant? That was pretty cool. He was like, everyone's like, yeah, it's the only time Democrats ever chant USA. I was tripping out today in my um, political science class where I had the realization we, like, Democrats really used to be the party of the working class. And it is insane how that has changed. I mean, like, they really only still have the black vote. Other than that, they are, they are absolutely not the party of the working class. And I, I can't even, I guess it's just because it was before my time where I can't wrap my head around that. But like, if you look at West Virginia and the fact that West Virginia used to be a democratic state, like a working class coal miner democratic state, and then became Republican in like a flip of the coin is like. I mean, a lot of those kind of like blue, blue chip, blue dog Democrat states have actually kind of switched because. In places like Ohio, you know, half of Ohio. Blue checkmark Democrats, dude. Fuck them. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I think it's actually, if we're going to talk about Deleuze, we also have to, you know, a really great point he actually made was this idea right. of microfascism, which I think actually kind of explains much of this kind of like neolib hegemony in that like fascism isn't even systemically political or inherently political in the way he actually says that there's, there's never been any mm. such thing as a left-wing government. He also said that the only true leftists were the Japanese, which I thought, I is like, which I thought was really, really funny. But one of the things that, that kind of like fascism is, is almost like atomic. It seeps into the neighborhood. It seeps into like, it seeps into the soul. It seeps in, if, I don't care, whatever, yeah. if you're a fucking vitalist or whatever. No, I didn't. But, true, you know, like, it's 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 almost it, it almost it it's almost fascism yeah. is almost at an atomic level a molecular is it a molecular level and the molar is something else for Deleuze yeah yeah exactly so which is kind of sexy I mean I'm I'm a little turned on by the idea of a molecular fa of fascist molecules oh I'm getting excited over here a, <laughs> a, a fascist virus uh, oh boy. Now go on though. You could say all sort of like malignant kind of molecular, I guess uh, not a symbiotic. What's, what's, what's the, uh, what's the word for it? A, yeah. Asymbiosis you could say is like inherently. Or like malignant tumors are fascist. No, because that's like, that's just some shit that fucking kills you. Hey, I think Holubeck actually, what, what did he call? He has a really great way of like going into things and being like, yeah, you know, I was a pervert over there. He's a garden variety alcoholic. He's looking at the he's looking at the young boys at the pool and then he'll go into some like long oh, winded sure. kind of like explanation of like almost at almost yeah. at this like subatomic level of like it's it's a strange cosmology, but I think it works really well. Did I tell you I got the new I think I told I, I posted about it. I don't know if you saw, but I got the new Wellbeck book, the um it's called serotonin. I don't think I talked about it on the last episode, but yeah, it's, I got the German translation. English isn't out yet, but, um, highly recommend it. It's cool. It's like all of his other books. He's the, he's really the greatest of all time. Oh, I think so. It's funny that he's so beloved in France, even for being so reaction. I mean, he's not that reactionary, honestly. He's like kind of, if you really follow him, he's kind of like a liberal, but like still 
to the degree that people are stupid and interpret his books about Islam as being reactionary. It's it's kind of incredible that he still has such a following in France. He's like the most popular French writer. Well, who's that? Who's that like neoliberal kind of like boomer philosopher? He's Henri Henri Bernard Lévy or something like that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So those guys kind of like you know they fucking buddy buddy up. Yeah, he has that. He has his first nonfiction outside of his thesis about H.P. Lovecraft was. Um, in English, it's translated to public enemies, and it's converse, it's letters or conversations with um, this guy Levy, I think, I believe. Have you have you read any? Have you read any of that H.P. Lovecraft stuff? Oh yeah, I, I've I've read a bit. I sh- not enough as I should because I've lived in Providence for a long time. Um, so I did get the chance, the wonderful opportunity to visit H.P. Lovecraft's grave, um, and I was so lucky at the time. I went there by myself and it's a grave uh, a cemetery I've been to a lot. It's called Swan Point. My early years of university, I used to go there alone and a um, little um, hashtag emo posting right now. I would go and I'd bring a, a sixer of tall boys, of Narragansett tall boys in a backpack. And I would crawl, I would climb over the fence because it closes at about five. So I'd climb over the fence around like nine or something and just kill a sixer in the cemetery alone. And that is really fun if, if anyone hasn't done that yet. Probably the most exciting part, which, you know, to a certain degree was, was fun, but also to a certain degree made the experience more stressful than it should have been, was that they have a security car that r- drives around um, and obviously never finds anything. Like people aren't seeing into the cemetery except for me. Um, so you'd have to hide behind gravestones and whatnot at like, I don't know, you know, 10 or 11 p.m., um, while drinking, but highly recommend uh, getting drunk in a cemetery, especially H.P. Lovecraft Cemetery. And to continue the story, I was there um, about a year ago, and I was looking at his grave. And the um, security, the daytime security at the the cemetery, came up, pulled up, um, and this this large, very kind uh, black woman told me that. Where his stone, where his gravestone is, the headstone is not actually where he's buried because he was so tall. I think he was six seven or something around that, um, and he wouldn't fit in the plot that was bought for him. So he's actually next to it in this unmarked spot of green grass. Um, so I got that sort of cool esoteric knowledge from my homie, my homie in the security department. Yeah, he spent pretty much all of his life in Rhode Island. Also, his wife, um, you know, she moved to New York. And he, Interesting. he I just know couldn't that. hang there. You know, he was a virgin till he was probably, I think, late 30s, early 40s after he'd already sort of like published and all those kind of like, you know, he was well known in that in that pulpy short horror world. But he actually finally, you know, consummated and uh, and it kind of changed his whole his whole worldview. He actually opened his mind. It, it, it kind of changes his whole perspective on things. You know, he was a very like insular. He's a fucking incel. He was the OG. Yeah, he was. He was an inc- yeah, he's an OG incel. He's, he's somewhat. He was fucking. Pretty, he was pretty big to do the stuff he writes about black people is pretty disturbing. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, but you know, but he actually he actually managed to kind of like change some of his opinions. But yeah, that that book is H.P. Lovecraft against the world against life. I haven't I haven't read it. I've heard great things about it, and I'm sure I would love it. But I'm I'm also tempted. Or I'm, I'm I'm leading towards not reading it at the moment because I'm 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 working on a thesis and I don't want to be too influenced by something like that. That would I would feel like is probably so similar to my own writing style that I'm I'm scared of it. Yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm for the first time just catching up on current events because I've been so consumed. Dude, you've been so high. 
You've been high for 30 years. Basically. I think so. It, it, but, you know, I, I, I've been having like, you know, like fun autistic time with, uh, with abstractions. And I think it's kind of like, because, you know, we could, we could talk about a lot of things, but well, last time we were talking about the David Columbia. Essay, oh man, we haven't even touched on that. Which I, I can't get really enough of this, of this idea. Yeah. How can we, how can we really introduce this? Well, um, to listeners who don't know if we have any listeners, um, David Columbia is an academic. He is a, I believe he is a tenured professor at, um, I don't want to, I'm not going to look it up right now, but he's a, I believe he's a tenured professor at a Virginia university. If you look in his, uh, in his medium essay, there's an, there are these kind of like AGI cybernetic figures superimposed over white hooded KKK Ku Klux Klan man. So the whole sort of like KKK blackface, you know, Virginia thing, it, it kind of comes full circle right now. It's, it's all starting to make sense to me. That's funny. But to clarify, so this guy, this academic, David Columbia, he, um, he's a really big leftist to the degree that like a leftist beyond fun leftism, where it's, he's like a paranoid leftist where he thinks everything is sort of, everything is targeting um, minorities or Jewish people or something. He wrote a book called Cultural Logic of the Digital or something along those lines. And then his second book was published by Minnesota, uh, University of Minnesota, um, part of their small, like their their short ideas project. It was a, a small book. It was like 60 pages and it was about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is right-wing extremism. Indeed, yeah. And I read this entire book, man. I read this, I annotated it because I was, I was thinking for a time I was going to write about Bitcoin, like the, the philosophy of Bitcoin. Um, and I read this as research and I was like really kind of upset about it. I was like, holy shit, like, is this the, like the academic discourse around Bitcoin right now? This deluded idea that sort of transgressive movements against a centralized monetary system like the Fed are inherently extremist right wing, like like somehow like racist because you don't like the Fed. And I couldn't figure out what this guy's deal was. And I like asked other professors, like my advisor asked other people about him and, and you know, no one had any issue with this guy. I don't understand how he's an academic. Yeah, I don't get it either. Because if you look at some of the discourse surrounding blockchain, there's actually a, a lot of academics who are actually advocating completely sort of these strange new market systems that are are totally outside of like Robin Hansen, he came up with this notion of futarchy, which is it's a pretty complex system of basically just like which is basically like ultra market gambling to the point of like hyper democratic extremism, which I think is actually an interesting concept if you're if you're trying to come up with some new adjacent political system where people are kind of like they're betting on their own system of beliefs, hoping that it can actually like, you know, change the market and actually change the viability of crypto, which I think, again, it's an interesting idea. I'm not fucking fully sold on it. I'm not I'm not fully sold on on any of the kind of just like adjacent Bitcoin sort of, you know, economic philosophies that are coming out of like wherever well, but isn't he like, where do you think his logic comes from? I mean, he's probably a Marxist or something. He's probably a leftist, right? I mean, I mean, it's it's very liberal thinking. He's not, I wouldn't say he's a leftist. I would say he's like a hyper-radicalized liberal. Like so many quote unquote left people are, 
within within academia. Yeah, yeah. But okay, but to, to, to go back to it, I don't even think we explained fully is like because because um, Bryce and I have already read this essay, but but this guy Columbia published a Medium essay, which is just you know why the fuck does Medium even cancel Medium? Medium, excuse me, it's 2019. It's the current year. Medium is canceled. Um, but seriously, fuck that shit. You can't just write your own. You can't just write a dumb, dumb fucking essay and then put it on the internet and have it have this sort of facade of being crypto academic or something. Like Medium is the worst thing that's ever happened. But so this guy writes writes an essay. You know, no one looks at it except for himself. And the central tenet of it is that artificial intelligence, excuse me, artificial intelligence is racist, but not only racist but white supremacist because a lot of the people who work in tech are white. Not because they're conservative or, you know, even even from a leftist perspective, like, okay, what are you, so you're telling me like, oh, all these guys who work in tech, maybe they're like um, right-wing aligned or something and that's why, that's why you're making this argument. No, he's literally making the argument that because the demographic of people who are smart and are engineers and working in Silicon Valley, because they're white, AGI is inherently white supremacist. Which I think is is also really funny because we can look at at a new book, Intelligence in Spirit, in, in Spirit, which is is a book is is uh, is is Reza Reza Nagaristani, who's clearly not a white person. I mean, it, you know, so I think it's you know this whole idea that we can sort of like ascribe, you know, because at the end of the day, artificial general intelligence is 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 synthesizing us. You know, it's changing our subjectivity. It's not like we're necessary. The only people who are who are in, who are invested in this kind of control, there's there's really no there's really no element to it. And he called like Sam Harris, who's like a fucking dork. He's like the most benign fucking nerd ever. He called him a right wing. He called him far right. It's it's like like in this article, it's crazy. Like, jeez, dude. Yeah, I mean, I wish I still had this. I wish I still had. We shouldn't even talk about it, honestly, because it's like giving this guy too much press, and he doesn't deserve it. I've had I've talked to him on um, Twitter DM before because I, I wanted to have an actual discussion with him because I wanted to like really confront him on a personal level and be like, "Look, man, I am in the academic world. I I want to understand what you're thinking because I like you have credentials, and that means I should respect your point of view." However, what you're writing in this book, in this Bitcoin book, is really not justified. And it's actually like super problematic in a horrendous way because you are not only condemning the idea of being right wing at all, like, like the, the whole book is premised upon this idea that if you are a conservative right wing or anything, you've already made a big mistake. You've already sort of committed a, a primal sin. Um, so I really wanted to have just a sort of discussion with this guy and be like, like, where are you coming from? I mean, wh- why do you think like this? And why would you suppose that critiquing the Fed is somehow like this, um, um, Timothy McVeigh extremism? Uh, but you know, I sent him a message and his first response was like this really, you know, mean, mean sort of retort. And I was like, all right, fuck this man. Like, fuck this guy. He's a piece of shit. Uh, so Fuck David Columbia, lock him up. That guy is a piece of shit. Fuck Luke Turner. Actually, David Columbia has gone on Amazon.com because that- and wrote that, his own uh, review, right? And he actually wrote his own review and gave himself a five-star review 
to rebuke as a rebuttal to all of the one stars. Right. And sort of just like, it's sort of like picking a median number. Like, all right, like I'm going to be a little modest here and give myself a three so I can defend <laughs> right. myself. He, get, he defended himself with a five-star review of himself, which, which just, which is fucking absurd. Eh? And also, you know, Minnesota Press actually, you know, they, 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 they published another book, by, which I fucking cannot stand by Andrew Culp, who wrote this Dark book Deleuze. called Dark, Dark Deleuze. Which that I think is one of the most. Sucks, man. You can, I, read, I wrote a review of that book. Oh, the, the worst. Oh, man. Boy, and I've seen that guy speak before. He's fat, too. To be frank, to all the listeners, uh, you know, I don't want to personally bully someone. But well, he's a pussy. He's a pussy, but, you know. This guy's a pussy, and he's actually overweight, so fuck him. He's not Delusian because yeah, he's fat. That's true. You, you, in order to be Delusian, you have to be like svelte. You have to live off of like nothing but midnight cheese and bread and wa- well, you have to respect your body, man. You can't be a badass. I mean, if 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 you're to give yourself meaning in in this life in this world, I mean that that's definitely the best way to take care of it. You know, your body is a rock and roll temple, like like G, like G like Gigi Allen said. You know, the Gigi Gigi Allen is the um. The patron saint of this podcast, along with Deleuze. Oh, totally. William F. Buckley. Um, <laughs> I love this shit. Listen, everybody, we're starting a fucking movement right now. And this movement is not politically, to say, it's not precisely politically aligned. It is about the beauty of combining reactionary ideas with the vital energy of, 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 of Dionysus. We are a Dionysian cult. All right, we believe we we believe in God. Humanity is not the last front. Man is not the end. There is something beyond, and that's why we like people like Tucker Carlson. We like people like William F. Buckley, Deleuze, um, Hegel, Kant, uh, Edith Stein, Edith Stein, Ponty. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of Van these people, Jones. you know, <laughs> the Van. Yeah, Jones I love Pot- Van Jones. Man, I remember when watching, he cried like, when Prince died. Yeah, did he really? I remember watching like um, a year ago a info an Infowars interview with Van Jones, and it was it was really funny. He was kind of cool in it. I think was that the one where he was on the street? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sometimes he's pretty cool. He's well, cool. Did you did you you saw the one you you saw the one where he went to college, right? No. And he was like, why? Oh, this is great. He went to college. He was like, if you're offended by somebody's ideology, it's like. Oh, poor you. You can't listen to somebody you disagree with right. when you're going to fucking college. He was like, it's like you go to college. It's like you you don't go to the gym to take the weights out of the gym. It's like that's what they're that's what the gym is there for. It's like I want you to be disgusted and offended every day of your life. And I want you to go out into the world and I want you to do something about it. So he's actually no, I mean, he's he's, you know, like. As far as like CNN, you know, retards go, he's, he's pretty okay. Like sometimes I'm like, he throws me for a loop. Sometimes I'm like, man, you know, like I really don't like what this guy's saying. And then sometimes I'm like, yeah, he's, he's okay. He's all right. Anyway. Yeah. Van Jones is cool. There are people on, I don't know. Is there anyone else? Is, is he a uh, fully CNN? Is there anyone on CNN who's cool? Except for maybe Van Jones? Not, not, not that I know of. 
Hey, I got a few other things to say before we end this. Um, one U.S. opens inquiry into handling of Jeffrey Epstein's sex abuse case, quote from the New York Times headline today. Two, gotta mention that Takashi 69 probably made a plea deal and is ratting on the other uh, nine tray bloods. Possibly will face 47 years in prison, which means that he'll get out when he is 6'9", um, which is a little funny, but also very depressing and sad because he's going to be in prison. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen this yet, you got to look at the, uh, the, the clip of Trump denouncing socialism and then the zoom in on Bernie Sanders' face. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, the whole thing with Bernie Sanders and, and my, my opinion is really is like, I actually think Trump is, is wrong. I think socialism's coming to America, whether people like it or not. Oh, but indeed, I said, yeah. It can either be this, it can be the, either the socialism that is sort of the kind of Christopher Lashian socialism, which is like, you're, you're, you're protecting institutions against the ravages of like market capitalism and, and, and sort of worship of markets and girl bosses <laughs> and all this kind of like, what this kind of, this, this like assembly of just fuck world yeah. shit, or you can have this kind of cute, comfy, neoliberal DSA type of, of socialism, which I think at the end of the day, anybody who's advocating for that is they're going to be in for a very rude wake up call. Cause at the end of the day, you, you get, you, you either get, you get one of two things. If you want socialism, you need borders and you need to completely denounce this kind of like fucking puerile identity, like identity politics shit, which none of these people who are quote unquote socialists or Marxists. They're willing to let these things go. So at the end of the day, and it's like, they're wrong because they're completely fragmented and atomized. They're, they have no, they have no idea what they've done, that what they're actually doing is they're just regurgitating this codified thing. It's like, okay, so if you have socialism and you have open borders Fuck and you man. don't want any sort of border security in any way, yeah. Oh, totally. It's like, because what, what will happen if a multinational wants to somehow subvert, you know, the gifts of your welfare state, which they'll inevitably do. This is why the whole idea of people fucking saying that when people make the argument, we were watching something on the, some quote from the view or some debate from the view the other day. And someone was bringing up as a retort, like, Oh, you have to look at Scandinavian countries. If you want to see socialism working, it's like, no man, that's national yeah. socialism. And the reason this has fusionally failed is because they let in so many immigrants, yeah. not to be, you know, a fear monger, but like, to be frank, you let a bunch, you let a bunch of people in who are Muslim. I love, I love Islam. It's great. But like, you let a bunch of people in from the Middle East who are not invested in, in Western culture, they're going to fuck up your national socialism, all right? Like, that's just the way it's going to work. I mean, that's basically how it happened. No-go zones. Baby. We got no-go. There, there are many no-go zones in Paris. I would not bring my kids there. You're not going to want to eat by the uh, Champs-Élysées. It's a no-go zone, all right? You got immigrants. They're shitting in the streets. Don't go there. Anyway, what else? You have anything to plug? We did our time here. Yeah, right. I think we're good. 